Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. You can all be seated. We're going to practice the rule of life and spend just a minute in silence and solitude as we continue to develop and procure those viable habits that will benefit us not only in this life but for eternity. So will you bow your heads with me for a moment and spend some time in the presence of God. Let's exhale. All that, all those thoughts, those burdens, just lay it before in the house of God. And inhale. that act of supplication, that habit of supplication, not venting reactively, but deliberately putting our heart into God's hands over and over, the promise of transcending peace. Henry Nouwen's Lent devotional, Lord, I pray for all who witness for you in this world Ministers, priests, pastors, and bishops, men and women who have dedicated their lives to you, and all those who try to bring the light of the gospel into the darkness of this age, give them courage and strength, fill their hearts and minds with the knowledge of your presence, and let them experience your name as their refuge from all dangers. Most of all, give them the joy of your spirit so that wherever they go and whomever they meet, they will remove the veil of depression, fatalism, and defeatism, and you will bring new life to many. All God's people pray. Amen. In 1993, the former rapper and current actor, put this picture up, released a song in his third solo album, Predator, called Check Yourself. Tell someone next to you, check yourself. It's not you, it's yo, check yourself. He says, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm really bad for your health, I come stealth. I drop bombs on your moms, killing Carl Worms. Yeah, I remember, I remember. 1993, 13, I told you I grew up where I grew up. Respect. Just kidding. Now, don't mess with my gangster proclivities, all right? I have them. Gospel saved me. But anyways, when Ice Cube says, check yourself before you wreck yourself, is my motto for financial fiscal responsibility for my children. This is what I'm trying to teach them. At 12 years old, not, do, not only do I do bar mitzvahs for my, my kids, Nathan had a bar mitzvah in the tradition of the Old Testament, because I believe when you're 12, you should be a man. You should learn responsibility, fiduciary responsibility. Tell someone that fiduciary. Now, if you're not taught good financial habits when you're a kid, like you don't have a credit card, and you're like, well, debt is bad. And this is what Dave Ramsey would say all the time to everybody, debt is bad. But just try to buy an apartment in New York City without any credit history. They will laugh at you. 
So you have to learn responsible fiscal responsibility. And so I give an Amex credit card. They're the only ones that allow you at 12 to have what? An additional user. And so you'll see, apparently, from 13 years old or 12 years old, my son and his brother, they would go to you know, a restaurant, a Thai restaurant in the city, um, right down here. And they would eat there almost every week. And people, they go in like they own the place. They get free Thai iced tea. And they even get free Diet Coke. They never gave me anything for free there before. I'm a bit jealous. And um, I was noticing a few years ago, my my son's turning 16 when he was 13. I saw the bill for him and his brother at $67 for lunch every week. I was looking at the monthly statement and it just didn't add up. You know what I'm saying? It just didn't add up. I'm like, how could it be $67? I know Manhattan is expensive. I know this is how it is. But I said, Nathan, are you ordering the lunch special? There's a lunch special? Yes, there's a lunch special. It's half the price. They're always bringing back home the dinner portions. I'm like, you should order lunch. Why? Because he's an additional user. At the end of the month, who gets the bill? Does it go to, is there, it says Nathan Kim on our house? No, it comes to me. So he's a what? A steward of the money allotted to him. And so what? He has to be prudent. He has to learn to be wise with it. So we have a conversation. Sometimes you don't know. So as children, we teach fiscal responsibility. The idea of stewardship begins. And he could be really generous. Yeah, he goes, they treat, they give us iced tea. I give them 20% tip. And you could be generous, but you're not being generous with what? Your money. It's what? It's someone else's money. You're a steward of that generosity. And so in the church, there is a confusion with spiritual habits in finances. A lot of people believe tithing is the mecca of spiritual habits. Wow, you tithe? Yeah. Wow, you're holy. People think that tithing is the mecca. Why is tithing the mecca? If you are a steward, tell someone next to you, a steward. It's not your money. You go, yes it is, I worked for it. Who gave you that job? I did, I went to school. Well, who lets you go to that school? In the end of the day, when you reduced everything back to zero, everything you've been given, and if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, it doesn't apply to you because there's no claim of God's leadership and ownership of your life. But in stewardship, in the stewardship universe, tithing is training wheels about a certain claim that God has and the sovereignty of God in someone's life. And so in the church, there is this there's this confusion, especially as researchers quantify the future of North American church. Already they're predicting that there will be no professional clergy in 25 years. The bivocational clergy. Because they say this generation and our, our ministry here at 180, we're one of the few self-sustaining young where... My wife and I are the oldest members of the church at 43. But many churches are declining and cannot be sustained. I know so many of my friends who went into church planning, now they're working secular jobs in sales or et cetera because the church is not sustained. And then the researchers say, well, this is a generation issue. It's not. It's not a generational issue. It's a discipleship issue. First, because you've not been taught what stewardship is, or you're just living in disobedience. You know you should, but you don't. And that's okay, because across the board, there is this struggle for good spiritual habits. And it all goes back to the garden concept. The surprising difference between stewardship and charity is stewardship is dealing with someone else's money, namely God. 
Charity is dealing with your own money, but there is no such thing if you're a, a devoted follower of Christ because it belongs to Him and His leadership of your life, of every area of your life, every inch, every square inch of your life. And so today, I want to unpack that understanding, a holistic understanding, not fragmented understanding of stewardship, because then you're going to aim really low. Bunch of churchgoers saying, well, I'm going to give what's God's in, and the 90% I'm going to take, and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. That's not stewardship. The sovereignty of the individual in a church has to be confronted every week, every inch, and transferred to the sovereignty of Christ. The lordship of Christ is the Great Commission. Not a bunch of churchgoers doing good things. That's not the idea of discipleship in the New Testament. So let's go to this passage here. And I want to help all of us understand the biblical narrative of the idea of stewardship, invite you into that story, and convict us all of what this really looks like in our lives. What is stewardship? Why is it important? Well, if you look at original sin, it's not that the, the, the fruit was forbidden. It wasn't just insidious. At the heart of original sin is an issue of stewardship and ownership and the confusion in which they unfold. Okay? So let's look at this text and check this out. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, now read this with me, we, what's the next word? We may. The etymology that Eve utters is a what? A permission language. We may. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. She knows. There is, is a foundational establishment who owns this house. Or there would be no prohibitions, right? We may eat from the trees in the garden, all the trees in the garden, this house. But you must not eat. We may not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, or you'll die. So the question theologians and scholars have asked for 2,000 years or 4,000 years since the Torah is why did God put this tree, this forbidden fruit, in its geography in the smack of the living room? Why? I asked the same question to my wife about our house every six months. I come down in the morning and everything has changed in the living room. She changes this. Uh, when, when guests come to our house, they're like, oh, you changed it again. And I'm just like, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's going to change again six months later. And here's the thing. I'm never consulted. Like, I don't know if you know this about me, but I don't like change. I'm a high-level introvert, and I write for a living, write sermons, write books, write articles, write speeches. That's my job. I don't like change. I don't even care about flowers being here or there. But she never consults me. She just puts it in the middle of the living room. I said, like, I want to open concept, babe. She goes, well, like you have say, are you going to help me? I thought this was our house. And then she laughs. Sometimes I even ask her, like, uh, what about living in Brooklyn? What about living in Queens? Never Long Island, though. Not like the leaves, you know? They're too far. But, you know, like, uh, and she goes, and this is what she says. She doesn't even use the plural. I like our house. She goes, I like my house. I like my garden. I'm like, excuse me, I live here. I live here, too. Yeah, I let you live here. So why the tree is in the middle of the garden is a claim of ownership. 
It's a claim of ownership. God is saying, this is my house. All the resources in it, all the things that's provided for, just because it's accessible, just like the credit card could be accessible and you could swipe. And you're an additional user. It's not a question of temptation. It's not a question of why did God do this. It's not, there's not really that hazy of a reason why the tree and the forbidden fruit is forbidden in the middle of the garden. It's a claim of ownership. Everyone is a steward in the garden, Adam and Eve, but God owns it. He's the owner. Therefore, he says you may and you may not. So when it comes to the idea of stewardship or resources in our lives, a lot of people have a fragmented vision of what, what is God's and what is mine's. A lot of times it's just what is mine is mine and yours is mine. But that's not the biblical mandate or depiction in Genesis. So you don't go, well, how, well, how much should I give? That's not even the basic question. How much should I give then if the middle of the garden is God's and the 90% is mine, the concept of a tithe? No, if God is the owner, the question isn't how much should I give. The question is how much should I keep? It's a foundational difference to think, okay then, this is God's and this is mine. No, that's fragmented vision of the Christian life. The steward In the stewardship universe, no, it's, this is all God's. It's God is sovereign over every inch of my life. And therefore, the question is, how much should I keep? What will glorify God in my life with the resources he provided me in this environment in which I'm embedded, in this job in, I'm embedded, this real estate asset I'm embedded, this crypto asset I'm embedded? You might pray for the crypto to grow too. But it's the environment in which you're embedded. The question is not, well, then how much should I keep and how much... You know, I mean, how much should I give? How much should I keep? When you buy a house or when you rent a house, the question isn't, well, how do I use this house and utilize it, optimize it for my benefit? No, the question is, how do I glorify God with this space? That's the big picture of stewardship. And so tithing is not the end. Tithing is training wheels. The whole part of the garden concept is that the middle would never, ever, you will never touch the middle, the center of your finances, so that you're never confused about who really owns what. That's why you tithe. You don't tithe because you owe God 10%. You tithe to remind you of the claim that God owes everything. Amen? And that might be hard to believe, but if you've been taught... The other way, that's why your whole discipleship is whacked out. And I told you, researchers are already predicting the end of the church in many ways, fiscally, because they said, well, a generation won't do this. Listen, when God wrote scripture, he wasn't thinking about generational differences. This is just a discipleship issue. Jesus is either Lord of your life or he's not. That's how stewardship is. That's what stewardship looks like. So the question I have for you today is, what is stewardship, right? What is the difference between stewardship and charity? Well, first lesson we learn in this text is what? First point, a steward manages someone else's money, not their own. So... Everything, every opportunity, every asset class, every environment which you're embedded in. If you're a Christian, those things been lent to you. Your job, your opportunities, they're not your own. Now, there's autonomy and freedom in those that God gives. But if you look at the New Testament message very clearly, when you come to the Father, when, when you're talking about inner life, like sin, it's the product of son story. But all the parables dealing with assets or money, what does Jesus say at the end? When he comes to hold you accountable for the assets that he lends you. Well done, my faithful what? 
What? Servant. Tell someone, servant. In the Greek, that's doulos. You should never use that word lightly. That's slave. When it comes to asset class, the New Testament is very clear. Come into my, not father's happiness, the New Testament parable says. Come into my master's happiness. You faithful servant. You are a steward. So the biblical vision from the Old Testament to the New, God is master of all. We are stewards. And if you look at the parable of the talents, if he gives you a million dollars, he lends you the million dollars. One talent equals one million dollars. It's not yours. And so the concept of a tithe isn't, isn't because you, know, you give to God or you should give to God. That's not the point. The point is clarifying with absolute, without any ambiguity the claim that the resources that you are provided is God. So you want to keep that center always clear. So there has to be things you can't afford in this life, even if you're a billionaire. Because it's not yours. It's not ours. It's lended to us. We're stewards of that. And so that's a question I want you to ask today. Am I asking, well, how much should I give to missions? Or how much should I give to the church? Or how much should I do with this money? You're asking the wrong question. Today, we have to flip the foundation and say, well, how, how much do I keep? Because everything belongs to God. How do, how do I glorify God with my assets for his glory? That's the picture of Genesis in the garden concept. So that's the first thing. A steward manages someone else's money and not their own. That's the first thing. Second, now check this out. When we deal with the ontological nature of original sin, the sin that has passed down from Adam to Jesus, right? The curse, which is an economic curse as well, because the whole basic of economics is scarcity. There's not enough resources to go around. That only happened when the middle of the garden was touched. So what kind of sin, if we really entailed and was meticulous about this theological issue, what was the sin? Just Yeah, it was disobedience. It was many things. But if you look at the passage very carefully, um, as we move down to the next, it says, When the women saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also des desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. So when um, any man in the church says it's the woman's fault, you see the man standing there. And you clearly see who was leading who, right? He was standing there with her. He could have said, it's not, God said no. He's like, all right, give me some too. They both scandalously disobeyed. And, and he ate it who was with her. And he ate it. So well, what is the issue? It's theft. The original sin is dealing with theft. But why? Why did Eve want this forbidden fruit? Why was it forbidden? Oh, because God said, don't eat it. It doesn't belong to you. You need a reminder, even though all these things are accessible, that this is not your garden. You're here as a steward. It's theft. A lot of people don't know, if you're a Christian, you're living, you could be generous, and you don't have God in the center as a steward of your finances. How is it glorifying to God? You're robbing God. You're like, that's so mean, Doc. That's what it is. The very beginning says in verse 4, You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of it, it will open your eyes. And you will be, and read it with me, you will be like what? God. Eve didn't want prohibitions. How many people like prohibitions? When, when your parent says, don't do something, you want to do it, right? She didn't want to be constrained. Adam and Eve didn't want to be, and none of us want constraint. If you don't have constraints, then you're your own God. And so really, in the end, it was Steph and Eve and Adam wanted to be God instead of God. They wanted to play God. And a lot of times, that's what we do. We want to be our own God. We want to have complete autonomy. 
In bioethics, there's something called the perversion of autonomy. You know what the perversion of autonomy is? When you give people irresponsible, without knowledge, too much freedom, which destroys society. You know, when you go to a physician, respect them. When you go to a nurse or a healthcare worker or a social worker or a mental health counselor, you submit to their expertise. But today it's like, no, I Googled this. I Googled that. I know better than you. It's a perversion of autonomy. In, and let me give you a classic example of this. Let's go down here. The FTX scandal. Fortune, two years ago wrote, is this the next Warren Buffett? Steph Curry, Shaq, Tom Brady, all part of the commercial. Elon Musk tweeted, the biggest cover-up in history. Just last week, we had a Silicon Valley bank fail. Roku had $56 million of their own money in that bank. They might not recover it, right? Because the FC insurance is only $250,000, $56 million. And what was, the, what was the fraud? What was the scheme effect? Well, they took everyone's deposits and assets, borrowed against it recklessly, tried to make money off the assets of people depositing their crypto accounts. And eventually, the risk outweighed the bets and it collapsed. And so now people, tons of money, te school teachers, firemen, People working hard every day, trying to get a one leg up in the American economy, lost all their money. Why? Because the FTX CEO also donated generously to politics, just dropping money. That's why the next Warren Buffett and give in charitable philanthropy, but no matter how generous he was, it was actually not what? It wasn't charity. It was thievery. It was theft. In the church today, move this down here, we're moving dangerously, and this is broader conversations need to be had, in what we call in economics the tragedy of the commons. A social and political problem in which each individual is incentivized to act in a way that would be ultimately be harmful to all individuals. And so in the church today of the next generation is saying, well, someone else will put God in the center of the front. Someone else will tithe. Someone else would give to missions. Someone else will do it. And we pass the buck. It's almost like the first horrific film called The Ring. You guys seen this movie, Ring? I mean, with the long hair coming after you like this? It's really scary. Get nightmares about it. And the only way to survive in this film, and if you didn't watch it, I'm sorry, I'm going to kill it for you. It, it's you pass this video to another family if you want to save your own. This is the tragedy of the commons, and it's happening in the church. So if you're a Christian today, Statistics say in the Northern American church, millennials and Gen X are willing more to give 10, 20 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks to dig a well in Africa, but they won't pay for the lights in the church. They won't tithe. They said this is a generational trend. Listen, because you gave 20 bucks and you said I'm, I'm a philanthropist and you gave that 20 bucks to getting a well in Africa. That's not charity. That's thievery. If you don't have God in the center, it's not your money to give away. If God is not in the center of your finances, you're not a steward. It's not being charitable. It's fragmented discipleship. And these are the same people in this generation that always criticize the church. Well, why can't we have better worship? Well, why can't we have better preaching? You don't even want to pay the pastor. You want better preaching? Let me tell you, in 25 years, as the church declines and the tragedy of the commons happened in the church, I'm telling you right now, and you're going to mark this date down, you're going to see tremendous heresy enter the church because some of the pastor's preaching will not have any theological training. 
They're just going to follow visions, the danger of an untethered reality to the scripture, and the quality of preaching will go down because they're not trained. Why? Because the tragedy of the commons. Because stewardship is fragmented. And, you know, I've been in ministry for 25 years, folks. 25 years. I've seen this across the board. People begin to tithe when they're taught because they don't know any better. Now, that might be some of you. Our church, we're one of the few, again, that's financially self-sustaining with millennials, mostly millennials and Gen Z. We're the, we're, honestly, to tell you, there's not, you could look up the research, there's not 10 churches you can find in the United States that self-funding without boomers. People like to make fun of the boomers. Sometimes my kids call me a boomer. But the boomers took this to heart. They sacrificed and they put God in the center of their lives. And they made amazing ministries that preached the gospel and expanded God's kingdom. Now the question is, in this generation, this stewardship issue is going to be what happens. And I don't, honestly, to tell you, I don't know, because I've seen it across the board. I've seen people never told just tied on their own. They just have this conviction to put God and say, God has a claim in my life, so I'm going to do it. But tithing for me is not the end all, and it doesn't show tons of spiritual, it's just training wheels and acknowledging the claim that God has ownership of your life. That's all it means, really, in the end of the day. I'm going to keep in the center. Because the promise is, if God is in the center of the garden, then everything is self-sustaining. God will take care of your, your kids' MIT tuition, even though that might be, like, I don't know, 500000 a year in 20 years. God will take care of your retirement because you're putting the pressure on God to be the Lord and the Master. And God says, Jesus said this in the New Testament, you can't have two masters. You can't serve money and God. The spirit of mammon. So here's a question we have to ask again. What is then the second lesson we, we learn here in this text about why the tree is in the middle of a garden? Second lesson we learn. Giving away something that doesn't belong to you isn't charity. It's a robbery. Malachi 3 says to the people of Israel, the only passage that says, test me with money, says you are robbing God. So you're a Christian. You might not know it. Now you're being taught. You're not putting God in the center of your finances. First with the claim of tithing and saying, God, I put my finances into your hands. You're robbing God. That bubble tea, you're robbing God. That concert, you're robbing God. That hotel stay, you're robbing God. That spa, you're definitely robbing God. Because that masseuse does not deserve that $200. And so, and, and you know what? I don't care if people are offended by it. Because in 25 years, I've, this is what I've seen. I've seen a generation that say, well, I'm not going to do it because it's my money. And then I've seen pastors on food stamps. What kind of witness is that? Pastors on food stamps? No wonder my mom told me, because she planted a church with the immigrant community. Don't go into ministry. Why? It's hard. Why? Because you're dealing with people. You know how Jesus died for people on the cross? Well, you're dealing with those people. Don't go into ministry. And you know what? When I chose to go to Bible college because of my conviction, my dad sat me down. No, go to a secular university because you're not probably going to be pastoring anyway. You're going to end up back in the secular workforce. 76% of all Asian American ministers who get an MDiv go back to secular workforce. So what? So we asked pastors and clergy to take a pay cut. If your workplace stopped paying you tomorrow. Will you go? Will you do it? You're like, no. So then why, why should pastors? Pastors should take less and less. So you have these ministers who are heroes, by the way, in the trenches, scared how they're going to put bread on the table for their kids. 
And then you have a whole generation. Well, I'm not, that's not my problem. That's God's problem. That's your problem. That's someone else's tragedy of the commons. It's, it breaks my heart to see a generation discipled this way. And then for sociologists and theologians and scholars to say, this is the trajectory of the church. I don't want to be part of that kind of church. We have to honor people who give up their lives. An MD doesn't have to struggle with this. A JD doesn't have to struggle. Engineers don't have to struggle with this. Why do the clergy get the blunt of it? It's not a good look and a witness for the church. And that's the daunting reality. The fragmentation of stewardship in the American church is killing the witness of the church. And that's why so many people are afraid to go into ministry. I think people who work for the ministry deserve an honorable wage. If you wouldn't do it, why should they? And now, for me personally in my life after 25 years of ministry, guys, I feel survivor's guilt. I really do feel survivor's guilt because I have a good life. I get paid. I can go anywhere I want, anywhere in the world, anytime I want to speak, to travel, to eat whatever I want. So I'm one of the survivors. And then I see my friends, I see pastors, two tragedies away, just two things away from driving an Uber. And there's no, no dishonor in that. Not if you study three years to get an MDiv to preach the gospel, and now, because of the tragedy of the commons, you're driving an Uber. And, I, and I've talked to pastors driving Ubers in all the cities of the world, and my heart breaks at the tragedy of the commons. This issue, folks, is something we have to grapple with. And you know what? Some people won't tithe no matter what. I've seen it. 25 years of ministry. Some people will begin. And it's a journey. You know, it's not fixated. It's not a combination message. Because the core of our community in our, in our church, they're cheerful givers. And this is why we're here. You guys make everything possible. But remember, tithing, for even for all of us who tithe, that's not the end goal of spiritual maturity. That's just training wheels. God wants to do greater things through you. You know, one of the greatest tragedies of the 21st century are inner varsity workers and campus ministers. A lot of times they tell me they feel like they're just begging for bread for a consumeristic church. And, the, and then in 60% of the time while they're here in NYU or Columbia, all they're doing is raising money, raising fund letters out. And they, they tell me, one person told me a few years ago, freaking drink, are you freaking kidding me? Tell someone next to you, are you freaking kidding me? I poured like three years into this guy. You can't donate $25 a month? He was like, I just, I don't know if I can keep doing this. So the posture of stewardship, there is a confusion in the church about what, where, who owns our resources and who is Lord of what. So giving away something that doesn't belong to you isn't charity, it's robbery. And that's the truth. The, the first sin ever is about the power of autonomy and becoming a God so there are no constraints in how you live your life. That is the tragedy of the commons. And the church is headed that way. I pray in 180 community, those who are a little bit further along in your stewardship would help and disciple our younger people. Because this is what I did for you, and I pray you would do that for others. To be a light. And, and you might, some of you guys say, well, I don't like how the church uses the money. Well, that's a fair thing. You go, well, I, I feel like some churches, they don't spend their money well. How are you using this money? What are you guys spending on cups? Napkins. There are too many. What is this coffee machine doing here? We could get cheaper type of coffee. Lock alone. Come on, that's a waste of money. 
You'd be like, well, I don't like how the church, you know, spends the money. This is what I thought when I was a youth pastor at 18, 25 years ago. So I didn't tithe to my church. I decided to take the tithe, the 10%, I made $700 a month. This is what this church paid me. You see this? The gas and toll was like $900. So they're asking me to work for free or negative 200, right? And so, but I didn't like, it was a Korean immigrant church. I didn't like how they spent their money. I wanted to disciple people. So I took 10%, I took 70 and bought resources and discipled men in my dorm. And I go, how noble am I? I'm using the money to build God's kingdom. And then my mom and dad, who planted churches before said, so are you tithing now? You're, you're working? You're making that $700? I'm like, yeah. But are you tithing to the church? I'm like, no. They're stupid. They don't know how to use the money. I know how to use money. They're not discipling people, really. This, you know, this is all, it's a social club. And my mom, for the first time in my life, got up. I was sitting down, and she was towering over me like this. And she was like, Sam, let me tell you this. Let me tell you something I learned in 50 years of being a Christian. If you want to give 10% outside of the local church, you do it. You give 20% then. I'm like, no! I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with $200 in debt every month. She goes, doesn't matter. This is what the Bible says. Bring it to the storehouse. Bring it to your local community, it says. And I was like, uh, and I was resistant because I didn't like it. She goes, no, you need to give 20% then if you want to spend outside of the local church. And honestly... My mom was discipling me, and I submitted to that. Because it's just biblical teaching to support the context of the environment in which you're being spiritually nourished. And I'm so thankful that she challenged me. But, but here's the thing. Who's going to challenge you? Who's going to keep challenging you and remind you that you're a steward? You're not a philanthropist. Every opportunity, every asset class, every environment in which God has embedded you, it's His. He's the master. We're servants and stewards of these resources. If the sovereignty of the individual financially in every area of our lives, but financially, it's not being challenged in the church. That church is not only in danger. It's a dangerous church. So the sovereignty of the individual has to be challenged and surrendered to the sovereignty of Christ. Today, we're starting that conversation. So the question isn't, well, how much should I give? It's how much should I keep, God? How can I glorify you in my life? How can I follow you in my life with the resources you allotted me? We're only additional users. We're not the owner. Let's pray together. Stand. Today, Father, we want to understand and accept the claim of ownership you have on our lives. So, I'll tell you straight out, for a pastor for 25 years, I don't my end goal is not for you to tithe. My end goal is for you to become a faithful steward of every resource, time, opportunities, and assets that God has allotted to you for the glory of God's kingdom. Because let me tell you, there will be a time when you're going to have to make account to God you might not think about that, but you will have to make account. And every receipt 
Every transaction will be scrutinized. Because there will be an overwhelming evidence of what we lived really for and who we really are. So today I want to pray first for repentance. God, I'm sorry for wanting to be the God of my own finances and that I'm always anxious about it because I'm, I'm my own provider. So that's an area of repentance. Second, it's a challenge for those who go, okay, I'm tithing, I'm giving to God, but am I really examining how all these assets and all the resources allotted to me is being utilized for the glory of God? That's the next question. Because I believe everyone here wants to build the house of God in their generation and pass down a faith that can bless multiple generations. So no condemnation in Christ, but an invitation to critically grapple with the issue of stewardship in our lives. Let's make this our prayer as we reflect. I want to serve the purpose of God. community was built the very foundation its very core 
was built on crazy young people that was sold out completely to Jesus. Our staff, our former staff, I mean, they were just young kids who came to Christ and said, I will give everything to Christ. I said, are you sure? Yes, everything. I hope and pray that 180 stays that way. That the youth and zeal, I realized talking to my son that I'm no longer young, I'm old. I feel young. I think I'm hip. My son says no. So I guess not. So, And I remember distinctively Henry, who just gave birth, I'm not him, he didn't give birth, well, he sort of <laughs> gave birth, he helped. <laughs> When he first came to Christ in a radical way, he said, he said to his dad, dad's like, no, you're not going to work for the church. He goes, dad, I don't care. I'll be homeless for Jesus. And I'm like, Henry, you didn't say that, right? He goes, yeah, I did. I'll be homeless for Jesus. I'll live in the, I'll, I'll camp out with a sleeping bag if it's for Jesus. You know, a lot of times as a young pastor, I was 26 at that time. I thought and had worries. I said, God, did I bring some of these kids into a crazy adventure? And I seen God provide. And for those of you who made that possible because of your stewardship, I just want to say thank you for letting me be a respectable leader to the people that I shepherd. I just want to say thank you because a few, like a decade ago, I met a pastor for lunch for a dim sum restaurant. And he said to me, it was $26 a bill. He said to me, can I write half of this in check. I said, uh, that's never happened to me before in my life. Someone said they want to pay you in check. I mean, what are we in the 1980s? And, and he wrote me this $10 check and he said, don't cash it until next Friday. The tragedy of the commons It's so painful. As a shepherd myself, as a pastor myself, and paying staff, man. Folks, please don't allow your discipleship to be like the ring. Don't pass the buck to someone else. Take responsibility as a Christian for your own stewardship. And don't treat tithing as the plague that you pass to someone else. Step into it. But don't let it be the end all. Let it be training wheels to allow God's claim to come into your life because it's not bad news to have restraints, prohibition, because God promises in the garden, if you put him in the center, everything is self-sustaining. So in the end, in Malachi 3, you end up having more, even though that's not the motive. When God is master and Lord of your life, there's only increase. And I pray that you experience that genuinely in your own life. Because one of our visions in 180 is we want to support InterVarsity and crew so that they're not spending 50% of the time trying to raise money, but maybe 30% so they can present the gospel to people who need it. Amen? So will you pray with me today? Father, I want to thank you for the legacy of 180 that we started with families and young people who gave everything, of their, every ounce of their blood. I've seen it take risks that seemed crazy decades ago, but it paid off because you created families that honor you with their lives and they're going to pass down that to their children. And now we have an opportunity to present the gospel to so many. I want to thank you for them and this legacy that you began. We pray that we'll be able to pass it down for generations to generations. 
And we pray that we would be a blessing. We'll be that mustard seed that becomes a tree that can bless ministries outside of our own community. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our 180 Church Sunday service today. My name is Sarah. I'm going to be just sharing some community news before we go into the rest of today's service. So the first is how we can give. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we want to remind you to keep God in the center of your life and finances. You can give at Venmo, Zelle, Chase Quick Pay, or PayPal. And if you're visiting, welcome. You're our guest. There's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to, you're welcome to do so through the methods above. Next up is Bible Reading Group, which you can find on Instagram at 180BRG. And you can find on there beautiful images and captions to brighten up your feed and remind you to just spend a moment to just pause with God um, and just provide some encouragement. So we hope that that does that for you, if you can check it out. And um, feel free to follow and share with your friends. Next is more ways we can connect throughout the week. So we have our Facebook page at 180 Church. Dr. Sammy has his Twitter, Dr. Sammy Kim. We have three Instagram handles. 180BRG, which I mentioned, and we also have our 180 Church and our 180 Fellowship handles. So definitely check those out. And we also have our YouTube, um, which is 180 Church NYC, and there we live stream every single Sunday at 1210. So if there's ever a Sunday you can't be here in the theater, or if you have any friends and family that um, can't make it and you want to share that with them, please do so. And hi to those at home right now. Um, next announcement is about small groups. So this is a place where we can slow down and reflect um, on what we hear on Sundays in the message in the context of community. So we have various groups that meet um, throughout the week for different stages of life. So if you're interested in getting plugged in, you can speak to one of the greeters in the 180 shirts for details. We have some resources available for purchase at the cafe, including devotionals that can help us connect with God on the daily and Doc's new book, A Holy Haunting, which we're getting closer and closer to that release date. Very exciting. Um, so we want to invite you to check all of those out and the prices are listed on the screen. While you're at the cafe, you can also check out some 180 merch and pick that up just to keep you warm. I know especially as we head into spring too, it's nice to have a lighter layer. So definitely grab one of those shirts and you can pick up one of those and pay for those and the books via the honor system. Um, if there's ever any time where you need prayer or anything that, yeah, you just like to request some prayer for, uh, we have our prayer text hotline at, at prayer at 180church.tv. And we just want to invite you to use this as a resource for you or for anyone that you're thinking of in your life. Um, and there's a team that will be praying in confidentiality for those. We also have our house of prayer on Sundays um, at the in the theater at 1145. And this is a place for us to prepare our hearts before service as Pastor Lydia leads this time. And also with Pastor Lydia here, um, she recorded a beautiful piano instrumental album um, with some worship songs. It's called A Glimpse and it's on our 180 Church Studios. So you can check that out at um, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Um, and we really just want to invite you, especially as we go through the Lent season, to check that out if you haven't already. It's really beautiful. Speaking of Lent, we are in Lent. Um, we're in full swing. So we just want to invite you, if you don't know what Lent quite is, um, it's where we um, just give something up or fast um, in order to make space for God and for our relationship with him. So we invite you to do to join us. And if you have any questions about that, you can also talk to any of the greeters or anyone who brought you. Um, and we have Easter coming up. So um, Good Friday will be first on April 7th. That's at NYU Kimmel room 905 at 7 p.m. And fresh news, we can announce that Easter Sunday on April 9th will be at Rockefeller Park in Battery Park City. Um, so you should have gotten an email this morning, so definitely look out for that. And we just ask you to fill out that RSVP form for yourself and for any family and friends that you're bringing so that we can make sure it's an awesome event. And uh, March 26th is the due date, please and thank you. Um, okay, so next up are ways that um, you can serve in the community. So if you'd like to make learn to make coffee, learn to grind coffee, use, use, use the awesome Breville and then, you know, 
get it later <laughs> for your house, um, we invite you to do that. Um, you can also join children's ministry and take care of the awesome little ones we have here. Or if you're a techie, we have just a lot of ways that you can help out on our different platforms online. And we're always looking for greeters to just welcome and be a friendly face. So if any of those are interesting to you, you can talk to any of the greeters and they'll get you plugged in.